How do you make a baby? Well, uh, when a man and a woman love each other very much. Okay, I'll spare you the actual talk. I'm sure it was awkward enough the first time round. But what if you had gotten the birds and the bees talk from a totally different culture, like the Aztecs, for example? Would they have told you the same thing, or would it have been rather different? I mean, on the one hand, we're all homo sapiens and we all share the same basic biology, and there's no changing that. But how we understand that biology, how we think about it, how we reason about it, how we apply our values to it, well, that can vary. The Aztecs did, in fact, have a different idea of how to make a baby. Quite different. As historian Pete Siegel notes, the Aztecs did not privilege vaginal intercourse as the only nor even the primary intimate act needed to produce a child, and they thus connected many other elements with the continuity of life. So what are those other elements? Well, here are a few things necessary for conception according to the Aztecs. Ritual, sacrifice, and sweeping. Wait, sweeping? You mean like with a broom? Really? You need all that to make a baby? Did the Aztecs really think that differently about the birds and the bees? That's what we're talking about on today's Short Shorts episode. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is the history of sex. History of Sex is sponsored by Dr. Jillian Kenny, historian of women, sex, and magic in medieval Europe. I'd like to thank our new Patreon patron, Stefan Bregg, for making this episode possible. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a great podcast. It's called Our Fake History, and it tells the real history behind so many fake stories about what happened in the past. Sometimes it debunks conspiracy theories, other times it looks at myths and historical half-truths. Of particular relevance to us today is the two-part series, Did the Aztecs Think Cortez Was a God? Find out the truth behind this centuries-old rumor. You might be surprised by the answer, and you'll learn quite a bit about the Aztecs in the process. There's that and so much more waiting for you on Our Fake History. All right, let's start the show. Time for today's Short Shorts. Short Shorts! Short, short. Okay, so what was up with the birds and the bees talk from Aztec parents? Well, actually, first of all, we should make clear that there was no such people as the Aztecs, because that is not what they called themselves. That word does derive from one of their myths, but what they actually called themselves was the Mexica, which is where we get the word Mexico. The Mexica ruled an empire of city-states in the region of modern-day Mexico from about the 14th to the 16th century, they had a rich literary tradition, but almost all of it was destroyed by the Spanish conquest, and post-conquest literature is somewhat mixed up with foreign influences. So pretty much everything that we say today should be taken with a grain of salt, but scholars have been working hard to sort the corn from the chaff as best we can and to get down to what the Mexica really thought. 
Also, I should note that there are people today who still speak the language of the Mexica, Nahuatl, about 1.7 million speakers actually, and there are those who trace their ancestry to the Mexica. But today we are just talking about the culture of the people of 16th century Mexico. Okay, fine. Now, let's get to the good stuff. All right, all right, so the Mexica believed that it took considerably more than just vaginal insemination to make a baby. That was necessary, sure, but it wasn't all. Rather, a whole way of life was necessary in order to create a situation of fertility so that when vaginal insemination did occur, a baby might actually happen. As historian Pete Siegel describes, the Nawas, which means the Aztecs again, it's yet another word for those that speak the Aztec language, Nahuatl. The Nahuas constituted a variety of relations as ones in which the human couple would engage in bodily activities related to fertility. These activities included categories that modern Western peoples would invest with sexual meaning, vaginal and anal intercourse, manual and oral stimulation of male and female genitals, imaginary conditions designed to allude to these activities and stimulate a genital response, and the use of non-bodily objects in these actions. Yet, these elements also included activities that modern Westerners would not consider sexual. The ritual killing of humans and animals, burning of maize, incense, and other items, letting of blood, and sweeping houses, streets, and other areas. Nawa categories linked all of these activities together and suggested that they formed a part of the matrix of sacrifice. Hmm, that's a lot that goes into making a baby. But I think the crooks of the matter seems to be in that last bit that he said, sacrifice. The Mexica believed that in order to make a baby, the people as a community had to be made fertile through ritual. Now, this has to be explained in the context of their whole cosmology, because you see, the Mexica, like so many other peoples throughout history, believed that the world could not just be taken for granted. Rather, it had to be constantly made and remade through ritual. It's kind of a spinning plates theory of the cosmos. I mean, have you ever seen a performer spin plates on poles? You know how they have to continually keep spinning the plates first, this one, then that one, and then, uh-oh, back to this one again in order to keep it all going? Well, that is how the Mexica saw the cosmos. They had to keep it going through ritual. All those human sacrifices for which they are so famous or maybe notorious, well, those were necessary from the Mexica perspective to keep the cosmos from coming crashing down like so many plates. That's what sacrifice was all about for them. They were doing a favor to everybody by keeping it all going. Now, I'm sure their neighbor peoples from whom many of the sacrificed captives came did not see it that way, but the Mexica did. And fertility, not just of the land, but of the people as well, was a part of all of that. In order to make a baby, you needed ritual and sacrifice. That's where you get the human and animal killing, the burning of maize and incense, and the letting of blood. It's also where you get the sweeping. There was an annual festival called Ochpanitzli, or the Feast of Brooms, where the entire city was swept by the people, swept clean. 
This was a ritual action that was a part of keeping fertility alive. But in addition to that, on the household level, women in Mexica homes also swept their homes on a daily basis, according to Siegel. And if they didn't, well, it could endanger fertility. And the sweeping is particularly relevant to us because of how the Mexica thought about sexuality and filth. Now, they did not have a concept of sex as sinful. In fact, they had no concept of sin at all. But they did have a concept of sexual filth. Sex itself was not filthy, but excessive sex was. And you had to avoid this like the plague. Just as you had to avoid a filthy home by sweeping, so you had to avoid a filthy sex life of excess. Now, this is illustrated in a rather amusing morality tale told of a ruler named Waymak, who sat upon the throne of Tolan, the legendary center of the Toltecs, who were an earlier civilization, you know, kind of relating to the Mexica, sort of how the Greeks relate to the Romans. Anyway, this Waymak was dissatisfied with his wife because, well, she was just too thin. You see, he was a butt man, and her buttocks were only one handspan wide. Now, I imagine this must mean one handspan per buttock and measured with the hand held horizontally. And I guess one handspan was just no good for him. In fact, he wanted someone with buttocks at least four handspans wide. Because that's the kind of guy that this Huemak was. He would have loved Sir Mix-a-Lot. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. <laughs> but this excessive desire would lead to Huemak's downfall. See, when his wife just wouldn't cut it for him, Huemak went to his allies, the rulers of other city-states, and demanded that they provide for him wives with buttocks at least four handspans wide. And his allies did send him the biggest bootied women that they could find, but they still weren't big enough for Huemak. And his lust for excess was apparently enough that soon even the gods caught wind of it. And in response, the gods Tezcatlipoca and Yaotl turned themselves into women perfectly matching his criteria with buttocks four handspans wide. And they had sex with him. However, this was seen as a betrayal of his allies, and so it sparked a war in which Waymak and the Toltecs were defeated. Thus, the moral of the story from a Mexica perspective is, sorry, Sir Mix-a-Lot, better stick with a medium-sized booty, you know, just to be on the safe side. It's the excess which led to Waymak's demise, and that was the main vice when it came to sex for the Mexica. Nothing in excess. There's something about you, girl. It makes me sweat. No, I said not in excess. Jeez. Anyway, Huemak's story also illustrates another important point about Mashika moral thought. Punishments may be suffered not just by the perpetrator, but by the whole community. It isn't just Waymok that goes down, but the whole Toltec civilization. For the Mexica, whoopsies were not necessarily just individual affairs, but communal problems. Just as rituals brought fertility to the whole community, so someone's sexual excess could rain misfortune down on everybody in common, which is probably why punishments for excess could be quite draconian, often involving death. 
Speaking of which, one type of excess for which you could get yourself killed was adultery. Straying outside of marriage was a major no-no for the Mexica. You had to be faithful to your spouse. Now that sounds a little bit weird in terms of excess. You would think moderation and excess means you could do whatever, just not too much of it. Well, apparently that's not how the Mexica thought about it, at least when it came to adultery. You had to be faithful to your spouse, period. Any straying outside of marriage was considered excessive sex. Now, commoners were monogamous, so they were stuck with just one partner. The nobles did practice polygyny with men able to have multiple wives. But either way, straying outside of the official ritually recognized marriage bounds was forbidden. And divorce was also forbidden. You could be legally separated from your spouse, but you could never remarry. So this is pretty strict stuff. Meanwhile, the penalty for adultery, whether together or separated, was death. And this applied to both women and men. Men were only punishable if the woman was married, whereas women were punishable whether their lover was married or not. So there's a little bit of a double standard there, but it's uncommon in history for men to get anywhere near the same degree of punishment as women, so that's another place where the Mexica really stand out. Men, too, were severely punished for adultery, not just women. Fidelity was a big deal for the Mexica. In fact, even if you were just aware of someone else having an affair, but you didn't report it, you could still be punished. Now, some sources do walk this back a bit, suggesting that, yeah, on the books the punishment is death, but, you know, a lot of cases, they didn't really enforce it, and affairs did still go on fairly regularly. Regardless, the point is that sexual fidelity within marriage was paramount for the Mexica in their moral thinking. Straying outside it was considered excessive and dangerous. But even within marriage, one also had to maintain a high degree of sexual moderation. Siegel quotes chapter 21 of something called the Wehuetlatoli, which is a text collected from interviews of elders giving advice to younger folk. And this text explains, Even though she is your spouse, your body, when you live with her, you must do with her as you do with food. Do not eat hastily. That is, do not have a filthy life. Do not give yourself too much. Perform well. Otherwise, perhaps you will not find pleasure when you give yourself too much pleasure. So in other words, the text is saying you can overdo this stuff, and if you do, there are consequences, which the passage then spells out. You will cease to produce liquid. Soon, perhaps, you will be unable to say anything or do anything with your spouse. She hates and detests you as her desire arises, and she wants the earthliness that you owe her. By earthliness, he means sex. But already you are finished. So she will ignore and betray you. You have ruined yourself. You have consumed yourself. So it sounds like if the guy overdoes it on sex, he'll run out of semen, which I suspect may actually stand in for impotence or erectile dysfunction more generally. And of course, this is an age before Viagra and Bluetooth, so fairly serious. Because if you can no longer please your spouse, then she may begin to lose interest, according to this text. Now, the text does not tell us what happens if a woman overdoes it on sex, which would be interesting to hear. 
But as so common across history, we only get the male perspective. It's also a little unclear what the Mexica thought about same-sex relations. The sources are dubious, being heavily compromised by Spanish conquest influences, so it's hard to trust them. And also scholars are all over the place in their interpretations. Some say it was absolutely forbidden to have same-sex relations and it was punishable by death. Others say it was common to the point of having institutionalized same-sex roles and possibly even third gender stuff going on. We do have a few words that seem to be related to same-sex stuff. The word quiloni seems to have referred to a male who took the passive role in male-male sex, while the patlache was either a woman who had sex with other women or possibly an intersex person. It's not quite clear from the text. In either case, there aren't sexual identities that define you as a person as we might think of it today. That's very modern. On the contrary, for the Mexica, like so many people before the modern era, it was more about things you did. It wasn't an identity, it was an act. And that's unfortunately about as much as we can say with any degree of certainty about same-sex relations among the Mexica. What we can say with reasonable confidence is that the Mexica felt moderation was good for everybody and excess was bad for everybody, regardless of male, female, opposite sex, same-sex, intersex, whatever, and on down the line. And the reason that they were so concerned about moderation was because failure meant becoming something called telazoli, which means trash, spoilage, used up goods, or dirt. Everything, according to Mexica thought, is constantly at risk of becoming mere trash, mere telazoli. That's what happens when the plates stop spinning. They fall down, they shatter, they get trashed. And that is the whole point of Mexica fertility and Mexica religion more generally, to keep it all from getting trashed. The world itself will get trashed if the sacrifices are not kept up, just as the fertility of the people will if you don't stay faithful within marriage, maintain sexual moderation, do the rituals, and sweep the darn floor. It all goes to trash. Now, we Westerners today may not quite agree with all the ritual and sacrifice and all that, but I think we can pretty easily grasp the manner of thought behind it here. In a consumerist culture like ours, trash is a huge problem, and if our way of life ever ceased, say if our economy was ruined by a massive plague, probably something far worse than COVID-19, but I think we can relate especially right now, if that happened, all our skyscrapers and jetliners and factories and movie theaters and stadiums, all of it would just turn to trash. And so we do everything we can to keep it all going, to keep the plates spinning, and to make sure that it doesn't all get trashed. And that is how the Mexica thought of sex, or at least almost. The one real difference is that whereas we think of trash as a final state, you know, completely worthless, it goes out to the curb and we never see it again. The Mexica, on the other hand, thought of it as sort of regenerative in a way. The earth itself, according to them, is made up of tlazoli, made up of trash. According to them, it was the remains of so many broken plates. But dirt still is also necessary for life. 
the maize, or corn, which sustains life, grows up out of the dirt, after all. And anyone who eats the tortillas, which were the staple of the Mexica diet, not just modern Mexican food, it actually has a long history. Anyone who eats the tortillas, which is made from maize that grows up out of the dirt, comes into contact with glazoli, trash, and indeed cannot live without it. And so it is with sex. It's liable to tempt you to excess, but you also cannot live without it. You can't reproduce without it. It's dirty, sure, but not in the sinful sense, not in the Western Christian sense. Sex, rather, is dirty in the earthy sense. It's messy, maybe even sometimes gross, and you don't just want its residue around your house. <laughs> but somehow, some way, it remains the source of all life. So maybe the best modern analogy for Tlazoli is not really the trash bin so much as the recycling bin. I mean, it's stuff that's used up for now, but it comes back around, and in the end, it sustains life. And that's it. That's the birds and the bees talk for the Mexica. <laughs> I kind of went quite a bit beyond, you know, when a man and a woman love each other very much, didn't it? There's a lot that goes into how to make a baby for the Mexica. In the end, how you do that is, well, you do have to have a man and a woman, and they have to, you know, love each other very much, but you also have to have a whole way of life that fertilizes the community, keeping the plates spinning through ritual, sacrifice, and even through sweeping. Sex is dirty, but dirt is also the source of life, so partake in moderation and avoid excess, and then maybe you can make a baby. And for the sake of all the gods, forget about the big booties. Well, I'm glad we had this talk. That's all I've got for you today, folks. I hope you learned something. I certainly did. If you like what we're doing here, folks, you can support the show by subscribing, rating, and reviewing, or pledging on Patreon, where $5 a month gets you a portrait drawn in the time period and culture of your choosing. I will draw you as a Mashika dutifully sweeping the city clean, or as a ruler dreaming of a four-handspan beauty, or whatever you want. I'll make you look awesome, I promise. Just go to www.patreon.com slash btnewberg. That's patreon.com slash b-t-n-e-w-b-e-r-g. All right, folks. Next month, we will see the conclusion of our super deep dive series, Sex in the Third Reich, where we are going to talk about queer identities in Nazi Germany. Did you know, for example, that one of the highest ranking officers in the early Nazi movement was, in fact, Totally gay. It's true. But how did that work for a regime that ended up putting homosexuals to death? That's what we're going to find out next week. And also, by the way, I have an announcement. Next month, we'll complete season one of this show. After that, we will be throttling way back to an irregular schedule of occasionally releases as the mood strikes me. The weekly schedule that we've been doing was an initial push to get the show off the ground, and it's done that. And thank you all for listening and for showing your support. But I have found that weekly shows are just not sustainable 
for this kind of material. I am flat out of research at this point. There's nothing more that I can do until I do a lot more research. And I'm also out of energy, frankly, for the time being, so I need to regroup and I need to recharge. However, there are still many topics that I still want to cover on this show if I can just find the time and the right research, like the Mongols, for example, or the Japanese. That would be fascinating. So if things do work out, those episodes will arrive. You just might have to wait a little bit longer for them. Meanwhile, you don't have to wait for next month's episodes. We've got a full schedule on the docket to wrap up the Sex in the Third Reich series. So I will see you next week for the start of that. Thank you, everybody. I'm B.T. Newberg, and this is the history of sex. Podcast theme music mixed from tracks by Kevin McLeod. For additional credits, references, photos, and more, see our website at www.historyofsexpod.com.